Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. I thought of what I would like to preach, uh, just to introduce myself and share my heart a little bit. I, I felt I just wanted to share one of my favorite passages that has been very impactful for me, and that's from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But before I, I, I'm going to read the passage, but I'm actually going to take a little bit of a, a long intro, because I want us to be ready to hear these words and understand what Paul is trying to convey before we get to those words. My, my, my topic this morning is how much do we value Jesus? And we're going to look at Paul to see how much he valued Jesus. There's so many things uh, in conflict in our own hearts and in our culture that, that call for our allegiance. And sometimes our hearts, we, we sometimes get distracted and we want comfort more than we want Jesus. Or we want safety more than we want Jesus. Or we want money more than we want Jesus. And often that can be really subtle. So this morning, I want us to see what Paul's thinking and see how he's going to communicate through the Holy Spirit how much we should be valuing Jesus so we can be reminded again to value Jesus more than anything. So to start, I'd like to give a, a brief sketch of the life of the Apostle Paul so we, we can know this person who wrote these words when we come to Philippians chapter 3. Do you guys know much about the Apostle Paul, his life? His name was actually Saul. He was an Israelite. And in Israel, he was a rising star. He was, he was of the religious elite. He was studying uh, under the, the best teachers of the law. He was from a good family. If you looked at him in Israel, he was like a status guy, rising star. But not only was he a rising star in Israel, he was, actually, he was also a Roman citizen. And that doesn't mean Dutch for us, like everybody's a citizen of America, right? But in Rome, very few people were citizens. They did a census in 70 AD, around that time, a little bit after Paul. There were about 55 to 60 million people in the, in the empire. Less than a million were actually male citizens. Paul was in that group. Super high status. It was interesting. The book of Acts tells us one time Paul was, a, a, he was put in prison and they were going to beat him. But then Paul said, how, can, how, are you allowed to scourge a man who's a, a Roman? And uncondemned, and that freaked them out. The, the, the jailer went to his commanders. Did you know this guy was a Roman? And they put their hands on a Roman. That was scary. Paul had safety. He had power. He had status. He had money. He had everything that we, we would want, right? In our chaotic, chaotic world, he has safety, power, all the things we long for, comfort. And, and beyond that, he was really, really good. If you think of a person who's really good, Paul was the guy. He kept the law fastidiously. The, the, the smallest things he could do, he was keeping the law. So he could be right with God. So not only did he have status, and not only did he have power, but he had self-righteousness. Like, look, I'm, I am better than everybody I know. Because I keep the law better than everybody. Religion was really sort of fueling his own view of himself. He, he was in a pretty good spot. I mean, we could look at him and think, wow, I wish I had all that. I wish I had that status. I wish I had that power. I wish I had that comfort. I wish I was that good. But Paul came to see that wasn't good enough. Because being a Christian means we come to a place when we realize, well, all those things are good. It's not bad to have those things. And none of those things are enough. That's not enough. And that's what Paul came to realize. It happened on the road to Damascus. 
Paul was walking one day, and he was actually going to the city of Damascus to catch Christians and put them in jail. He was so zealous for the law, he wanted to imprison Christians. The, the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, has, had died by that point and had been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. God, Christ Jesus, appeared to Paul. Paul was dumbfounded. The people that were with him fell to the ground. Everyone was confused. Paul was made blind, and Jesus called him. And in that moment, Paul was changed. Saul was changed. He's like, no more of those things mean anything to him. Now he only wanted Jesus. And that was the real deal from the very beginning. I'm going to say one more thing here about what happened in that moment of his transition, of his conversion. Jesus then went ahead of him to Damascus and spoke to a man called Ananias. And he said, go to talk to this guy, Paul. He's going to be blind. You're scared of him because he's been coming to, to, to get Christians to put them in jail. But this is what he said of Paul. He said, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So I want you to hear that. That's how Paul became a Christian. In one hand, you have money, status, power, comfort, future, good works. On the other hand, you have Jesus and suffering. That's the choice. Jesus and suffering, or money, status, power, comfort, good works. For Paul, it wasn't even a question. Give me Jesus. When you see Jesus for who he is, it's not even a question. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Because Jesus is life, and all that other stuff without Jesus is death, and there's no question. That's what Paul came to know when he met Jesus Christ. And if, we, if you're a Christian this morning, that's what all of you have come to know too. We forget it, but we know it. Jesus is worth everything. So my question for us today is how much do we value Jesus? Well, Paul wrote the, 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 the letter of, we know, of Philippians to the, to the church of Philippi. He was in prison now. And this is ironic because, remember, he was converted going to put Christians in jail. He ends up in jail for preaching the Christian gospel. The Jews threw him in jail, and now he's in Rome, in jail, writing these letters. And he writes a letter to the church of Philippi, and he's trying to encourage them. It's like, yeah, it looks bad for me, but God is good. Jesus is good. Value Jesus. Now, with all that in your minds, listen to what Paul said when he wrote Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Paul writes, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. I want us to think of three things this morning from this passage. I want us to see the true value of Jesus, our true need for Jesus, and the true salvation we find in Jesus. First, just consider with me, what do we see the true value 
of Jesus in these, in these words. Right there in verse 7, we, the first thing we see for Paul, is saying all our good things are nothing compared to Christ. Every good thing is nothing. Look what he says. Whatever is gained to me, I counted loss for the sake of Jesus. All of Paul's self-righteousness, all of his good works, he said that's nothing. That's not only nothing, it's loss. It's actually negative. It's no good to me. He had tried to do everything he could to be good before God. And don't we often do that? We feel like I got to be good so God will like me. And even as Christians, we start doing that. Oh, I sinned. Let me go pray a little bit and read my Bible regularly, and then God will like me again. So we can't earn it. How is that going to change God's mind? Paul had devoted his life to try and earn God's grace, and he could not do it. He kept the law with meticulous care, but all of his good works were nothing compared with Christ. Compared to the blazing purity of Jesus Christ, our good works are horrible. So boys and girls, I want you to get this, because we like our good works. Imagine mom and dad tell you to go clean your room and make your bed. Does, does mom ever tell you to do that? Does dad have to do that sometimes? Right. So, so you know how to do that. So you're going to do your good works. You're going to clean up your room, and you're going to make your bed. But before you go in to clean up your room, you go into the garage, and you pick up a barrel of used motor oil that dad's been storing after he changes his oil, and you dump it over your head, and it's dripping down your hands all over your body. So you got the picture? You're covered with motor oil. You go into your room and start cleaning up. And everything you put away, it's nice. You put it away, but you're smearing oil everywhere. You're dripping oil on the carpet. You turn and oil splatters on the wall. Then you start making your bed and you get the sheets nice and straight, but they're smeared with oil. You've done a good work, but is mom going to be happy with you? you be like, hey, great job. They're like, freaking out. What? There's oil everywhere. Before God, that's what our good works are like. Our sin, because we, because we have sinful motives and sinful hearts, even when we try to do good, it's like we're covered with oil. So even all of our good works are covered with the sins of all of our motivations. That's never going to please God. It will never please God because we're covered in sin. We have to realize that we cannot be good enough. All our good things, they're nothing when compared to Jesus. And not only our good works, but all of everything that we get, all of our power. What, power, what is our power compared to God? The citizen, the safety, citizenship, safety, education. Those are good things, but they're nothing compared to God. They don't satisfy us. They don't fill up our hearts. We can't please God, and we can't even satisfy ourselves. How many rich people that have gathered everything they could possibly get, ambitious people that have conquered, sports people that have won, but they get to the end of their life and they're still empty. They're still desperate. They're still despair because they want to get more and get more and it never satisfies them. Their good things are lost and they don't realize it. And then people stuck in poverty on the other end of it, they just say, oh, I just wish I could be that person. I wish I could have all that money. Then I could get and get and get and then I would be satisfied. It's just a lie. All things are lost. And Satan loves that lie. We, we tells us that lie. Sometimes as Christians, we start believing that lie. Oh, if I could only have that if I could only have that relationship or only have that money or if I could only have that safety or if only my marriage were better, if only this, then I would be satisfied. None of those things can satisfy us. All those things are lost compared to Jesus. We were made to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. So, so when we have Jesus, that means when we have good things, we can enjoy them with thankfulness to God. It's good to have an education. It's good to have money. It's good to have safety. If I have those things in Jesus, I can be thankful. But I can also be content when I don't have any of those things. Because I have Jesus. 
Being a Christian means I'm satisfied in Jesus. That's what Paul said in the next chapter, chapter 4. Remember? In chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he says, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. Humble or prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've heard that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oftentimes you just take that out of the text and just say, I'm going to go do something. It's not a bad application. But but Paul was saying, I learned how to be content because I have Christ and he strengthens me. I can be happy with nothing, and I can be happy with a lot. Because I'm not looking to the things to make me happy. Those things are nothing. Christ is everything. When, when we get that, we have joy. So, so Paul saw all of his good things were lost. But then secondly, he goes on more. He always goes more. More than that, absolutely everything is lost, com- is lost compared to knowing Jesus. If you know Jesus, he's, more, he's better than everything. Everything is lost. Not only your good things, everything. Paul said in verse 8, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So not only the good things in your life, but everything in your life. He counts all things to be lost when I consider the value of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. You see what Paul, he's just knowing Jesus is more than anything else. That's what Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. You should sell everything to buy it. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. You say, sell everything to go find it. Because it's more valuable than everything to know Jesus. Jesus said that eternal life was that they know you, the only true God, and Christ Jesus whom they sent. John 17, verse 3. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. That's what eternal life is. At the very core, what does it mean to to have life that lasts forever? It means knowing Jesus. Because life without knowing Jesus is darkness and despair and misery that leads to hell. But when you know Jesus, when you know him, then his light bursts into your life and into your darkness, into your confusion. and, And that swells in your life and it fills you with truth and light and power. And that takes a long time, but it impacts every part of your life until you're brought into to eternity with him forever and ever. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. And that, knowing Jesus, is more valuable than everything. But then, but then he goes on even more than that. Or thirdly, he says, he said, this wasn't theory. This was his experience. Now, me, Paul Hamilton, I have not lost everything. I've lost some things. I've lost friends. I've lost some opportunities. But I haven't lost much. Paul said... But look what he says in, in, in verse 8. I have lost all things. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might have Christ. He did experience the loss of all things. Remember that when he had all that safety and all that money, all that? He lost all of that. And he says, I'm counting that but rubbish. And the word for rubbish is filthy trash, like manure trash, like the stinky horrible trash. So Paul is saying, yeah, all that esteem I had, all that money I had, all that power, it's like trash, stinky trash compared to Jesus. All that safety I had, oh, it's like trash compared to Jesus. It can't even be compared at all. This was real to Paul. In 2 Corinthians, Paul lists 
all that he had gone through. And, I, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it fast. I want, don't want you to, I want it to wash over you. This is what Paul experienced. And remember who he was. High class, elite, powerful. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 29. This is what he says. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. That means they whipped his back 39 times with a whip. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there's daily pressure on me out of concern for all the churches for who is weak without my being weak, who is led into sin without my intense concern. Paul gave up comfort and ease, a, a certain future of money for beatings and imprisonments and shipwrecks and exposure and lack of food and ultimately his death because Jesus was worth it. With all that suffering, Jesus was worth it. He was more valuable than all those good things. And none of us has suffered like that. But do we have something of that in our hearts that we say, Jesus is worth it all. He's really worth it all. As hard as life can be, Jesus is worth it. But we want to really understand the value. We're going to have to get to our next point, our true need for Jesus. That's the true value of him. He's more than all. To really understand this, we have to understand our need. So boys and girls, I want you to listen again one more time. I want you to imagine that I gave you a $100 bill. Now, I'm not going to do that. This is your imagination. You guys, get in your mind, $100, piece of paper, $100, it's yours to do with whatever you want. And then I come alongside you and I say, would you like to buy this almost new bottle of water? $100. Does that sound like a good deal? You're not going to do it? You can get water for free out there. You're like, no, Paul, that is dumb. I am never going to do that. But now, let's imagine... You're in the desert. And you were lost by yourself in the desert. And your last water ran out yesterday. And you have no more water. And you're start, your skin's starting to crack. Your lips are cracking. You're really thirsty. You're starting to get weak. You might die if you don't get water. Now you have a piece of paper that says 100 on it that you can't do anything with. You could burn it. That's not going to help you. You can't drink it. For you, actually, it's just trash now. It's a piece of trash in your paper, in your pocket. You can't buy anything with $100 because there's nothing to buy. But I say, hey, I'll give you my bottle. Mostly full bottle of water, $100. Is it worth it now? Now it's worth it. I'm going to take your trash, $100, which you cannot use, and I'm going to give you life. When we see our need for Jesus, then we understand how valuable he truly is. We have to see our need. Well, Paul says this. Verse 8 ends, he he, he suffered the loss of everything so that he may gain Christ. But look at verse 9. He says, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, or maybe translated through the faithfulness of Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. This is important. Paul valued Jesus so highly because he knew how much he needed him. He needed to be found in Jesus because Jesus gives a righteousness that comes from God. 
And friends, we need his righteousness. We need it because we're sinners. And sin has fractured our relationship with God. And it's fractured our relationship with others. It's polluted and corrupted everything. Our hearts are broken and needy and our relationships are selfish. We have our own righteousness. Like Paul, he had his own righteousness. He had his good works and we have our good works, our attempts at doing good. And when we compare ourselves to others, when you compare yourself to others, you might feel pretty good. Like I'm a little bit better than that guy. I'm a little bit worse than that guy, but, but I'm okay. When we think the standard is people, we're okay. But the standard isn't people. The standard is God. And we compare ourselves against the standard of God, we fall desperately, miserably short. Not because God is mean, because He is the standard. He is perfect. He is holy. So every moral failure, we've got to think about this rightly. Every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong deed is a stain of pollution in God's world. It's trespassing in what, his, what he has created. It's a cancer, a pollution in his perfection. He made a world for beauty and love and care, for relationship, for health and joy, to reflect his glory. And we pollute it with our sin. Sin brings hurt and pain and destruction and loneliness and hatred and brokenness. And all that sin ultimately is against him, against God, against his perfection. And he is the perfect judge and we're, we're, we're sinning against him over and over and over. We need somebody else's righteousness. Our righteousness is covered with sin and is dragging us down to hell. But God is love. And God, knowing our need, knowing our sin, knowing our weakness, yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. God has made a way. And not because of your faithfulness, not because of your righteousness, but because of Christ's faithfulness, according to his faithfulness, according to his righteousness. We need his righteousness. Believing on Jesus Christ, clinging to him in faith, means you take all of your hope and all of your trust, and you won't trust at all in your righteousness. I need a righteousness that comes from God through, his, through faith, through his faithfulness. That's what you need. That's what I need for me to be right. I need to be found in him. That's what Paul is saying. I, I'm found in him. That's why I cling to him, because I'm found in him. And I have his righteousness. Friends, there will be a judgment, and that is unavoidable. I, I will stand before God, and you will stand before God. And every person who ever lived will stand before God for justice. And our hearts demand justice. Our hearts hate it when we feel injustice and our hearts hate it when we see injustice. If we see a guilty man go free or a condemned woman, be, uh, 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 an innocent woman being condemned, we hate that because we want justice. Well, there will be justice, but it will be absolute, complete, perfect justice. And that means every thought, every word, every deed is judged according to the standard of God. And perfect justice says guilty, guilty, guilty. So either, friends... You stand before God by yourself with your pitiful good works and my pitiful good works and my mountains of sin. Or I'm found in Jesus. And I stand before God hidden in his righteousness. But that's the option. I need to be found in God. I need to be found in Jesus with his righteousness.
So friends, if you've not believed on Jesus Christ, young people, if you've not believed on Jesus Christ, this moment, realize how desperate your need is. You will stand before God. And you're living for things that will never satisfy you. In fact, you will stand before God and you will be guilty. But Jesus says, if you will believe on me, you will be found in me and I will give you my righteousness. A righteousness that you cannot earn. A righteousness that you can only receive. My righteousness. So believe on him. Lay down your pride and self-confidence and cling, on, cling to Jesus. Paul knew that all of his good works and his religion couldn't count for anything because he was a sinner. And if you're a sinner, you can't do enough good to wash that away. And we know that's true. If you commit murder, and then tomorrow you go and pull a, a stranger out of a burning building, the judge is not going to say, well, you committed murder, but you saved that other guy, so it's a wash. Is that going to? No. You're still guilty. Your good works can never wash away your guilt. It doesn't work that way. Justice doesn't work that way. You have to have something happen to your guilt. Something has to happen, and you can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, takes your guilt, and he pays for all of it. And his blood washes you clean, and he gives you his righteousness. So our most basic desperate need is we need righteousness. We need righteousness. And in Jesus, all those needs are met. We have a righteousness that comes from God. We're hidden in him. That is your desperate need. That's why we have to value Jesus so highly. If we see our true value of Jesus, he's worth everything in our lives. We see our need for him. We need his righteousness and we can't get it anywhere except from him. That's, his, that's our need. But I want us to end with the last thing. The last thing is the true salvation we find in Jesus. The true salvation we find in Jesus. In Christ's righteousness, there is a full and complete salvation. Knowing Jesus is a life-changing, whole life salvation. And I want us to see that. Look at verse 10 and 11. He, he, he gives up everything so that he may know him, that he may know Christ, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So salvation, I'm going to say, he's going to know Jesus and these three things. Salvation is going to include these three things, and they can't be separated. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship with his sufferings, and the resurrection from the dead. And I want to talk about those two things really quickly before we close. The salvation we have in Jesus is in the power of his resurrection, the power of the risen Christ. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead with power. He was really dead. He died on the cross, wasn't a, wasn't a faint. He was buried. His dead body was buried. But a power, the power of God, filled his body, changed his body, and he was raised from the dead to live forever in a powerful, changed, transformed, glorious body. When you believe on Jesus Christ, you, you were dead in your sin. But the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised him from the dead, fills the dead sinner and gives that person new life. And they, they respond with faith. That's this resurrection power. So I want you to get this. Why is that important? Because if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that means you have been filled by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, that gives you life and power to live for him. 
You have the resurrection power. So when God calls you to do something and you think that's hard, I can't do that. We have to, I am filled with the resurrection power. I know him and the power of his resurrection, that new life. I have that life. Yeah, it's hard for me. Yeah, it's hard for you, but it's not hard for Jesus. You have his power. When you feel at your end, like I can't do this. I can't keep on. I have the power of God in me. I can do this. In his weakness, we we are strong. We have his power. The kingdom of God is not made up of words, but of power. So the question, friends, is the power of God changing you? There are those who believe you can just be a Christian and then just get my ticket to heaven and go live however I want. God doesn't offer tickets to heaven. He offers new lives that end in heaven. He gives you a life, a power that will change you. It'll, it'll be slow. It minds, it's messy, isn't it? But it's real. If you're a Christian, you know that it's real because he's in your life and you know that. Little by little, he's changing you. He's helping you. And we do that together. We encourage each other by the Spirit of God working in us. We encourage one another. But we have the power of the resurrection in us. That resurrection power growing us, changing us, perfecting us so that one day we will be presented before God holy and blameless, perfect, just as he is perfect. That will happen one day. So salvation is in the power of the risen Christ. But secondly, the salvation we have is also the fellowship of his sufferings. This is the not-so-fun part. But Jesus, he had to die before he was raised from the dead. He had to suffer to accomplish God's purposes. He suffered for the joy set before him, though he was despised in the shame, right? He had to suffer before he entered into his glory, and he calls us to follow him. Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.11, it's a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. In Romans 6, 4, Paul said, Therefore, we have been buried with Christ through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We follow Christ in his sufferings. That means dying to ourselves, doing good when it hurts, following Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if if you're not going to pick up your cross and follow me, Deny yourself and follow me. You're not worthy of being my disciple. You have to pick up the instrument of your execution and deny yourself. He said, following me means it's going to suffer. We're to suffer as we do good for others. Suffer as we bear the name for Christ. Suffer as we fight our own sin, as we're rejected by the world. It doesn't mean we seek out suffering. And that's, we're not monks. We don't seek suffering, but we're willing to suffer. Following Jesus often leads us into suffering. As you seek to do good towards others and you move towards need, that's probably going to bring suffering. As you fight your own sin, that's going to bring suffering. As you, as you stick in that relationship that's hard, that brings suffering. Jesus said, follow me. Join in my sufferings. And most of us don't suffer very much, do we? We suffer because we're obnoxious. Or we suffer because we have a bad attitude. Or we suffer because our sin overcomes us. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, follow me. Be willing to suffer. Move towards those who are hurting. Be willing to suffer. Do good. Be willing to suffer. I'm worth it. Join in my sufferings. As you suffer with me, you're going to be raised with me. Have you ever heard anybody say, no good deed goes unpunished? You hear that? Usually somebody's pretty cynical when they say that. They're like, oh, I did something good that hurt. I'm going to give up. Why do good? 
No good deed goes unpunished. Jesus only did good. He only did good. And where did he end up? On the cross, dying, but then glorified. Yeah, our good deeds often are going to lead us to suffer. If that makes us stop doing good, then we're not following Jesus anymore. He kept doing good until he died on the cross. He says, follow me, keep doing good. Join in my sufferings. That's what salvation is. The new life we have living with him is dying to ourselves and living this life following Jesus. So that's not romantic. We should not, we should not paint a, a romantic picture of the Christian life. Oh, it's just going to be fun to go be a missionary and yeah, this will be fun. It's hard. It's hard to suffer. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to be in a bad marriage. It's hard to struggle with children. It's hard. It's hard. But it's good to be with Jesus. He's worth it and there's joy and there's peace because in joining with his suffering, we're filled with his power of his resurrection and we know Jesus and he's worth it. He's worth it. Because Romans 6 verse 5, the very next verse, says if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, which is our last point. Salvation is the resurrection power. And the resurrection power gives us the power to suffer so that we will one day be raised with him. The salvation we have in Jesus is the final, full resurrection from the dead to live forever with Christ in a new world. The Bible says that one day Jesus will come back. And when he comes back, there's going to be a judgment. And this world will be destroyed. There will be a fire of purging this world. And then God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And everyone found in Jesus, everyone found in Jesus will be raised. Either you'll be alive at that moment and you'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye to a body like Jesus's. Or you'll be dead and he's going to rise your, raise your body from the, from the dead. And if you're cremated, he's going to take all of your atoms. He's going to make a new body. You cannot escape him. He's going, to, he's going to find your body. You will have a new body and it will last forever. There's a resurrection. There's a hope. There's a glory, a perfect life lived in a perfect world with no more sin, no more sickness, no more, no more pain. A real physical world. We should not think of our future as in a disembodied or some sort of angelic sort of flittering about spirit. We will have physical bodies like Christ's body is physical now in a real world that will last forever. And we will have dominion, a universe to explore and see and know all to the glory of God, never to die again, never to have sin again. Can you imagine that? Never to sin again. Never a sinful thought. Never a sinful word. Never a sinful motivation. But only an always joyful righteousness. Always. Complete peace. Complete joy. Working to, to, and being fulfilled. Doing for the glory of God. Every moment. Never boredom. Always life and joy. There is suffering now. Christ calls us into suffering now. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, that momentary light affliction, your suffering now is like a breath of affliction, like a momentary light. However bad it is, Paul says it's like a momentary light affliction, which is producing for us, it's doing something. It's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We can't even imagine it. We can't even imagine it. And sometimes life feels hard. He says it's like a puff of air compared to the weight of glory that it's producing in you. Romans 8.18 says, Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. Did he know suffering? 
More than I do, he knows suffering. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It can't even compare. It can't even compare. We live for something, brothers and sisters. We live for a glory to come. Knowing Jesus is a life that will never end, and we can't even compare our sufferings to what is to come. We can't even fully grasp what's before us. To live forever with joy and energy, working at your fullest potential, creating, learning, growing, and knowing Jesus more and more and more forever. This, that is the salvation that we have. That's the salvation that's offered to everybody in this room. If you'll believe on Jesus Christ, he is that valuable. He's worth everything. He's what we need. He offers a salvation that's full and complete. He's worth everything. The only other option, friends, is that you stand before God in judgment with your little good works and your mountain of sin to be condemned to hell forever. And I'm going to... Heaven is... There's no bad. There's no pain. There's no suffering. Hell is the opposite. There's no good. There's no moment of love. There's no feeling of tenderness. There's no kindness. There's no peace. There's no rest. There's only anger and hate and pain and suffering and loneliness and weariness forever and ever. We need salvation. We need it. We need Jesus. But the good news is that salvation is freely offered to everyone who will believe on him. If you will believe on him right this minute, it is for you. And he will change you by his resurrection power and you will live for him forever and ever and ever. So brothers, whether we're Christians this morning, we need to believe this better. Don't we? I need to believe this better. I don't live like this is true all the time. I need to more. We need to believe this and live. But if you're not a Christian, you need to believe this. Believe this and live. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's life. There's hope. Let's believe on him together and let's live. Let's pray.